Welcome to 20% Time, a podcast that takes you behind the scenes of Titan, a web consultancy based out of Chicago, but entirely remote with employees across North America. We specialize in Laravel, a PHP framework, which we're often pairing with any number of JavaScript frameworks and libraries. I'm your host, Dave Hicking. And this week, we're not going to be quite so technical, but we're going to talk about some things that are not even arguably are absolutely just as important as the technical side of the company. And some of this is really uh, hopefully useful given the time that we're recording this right now where more and more people are going remote. Uh, This week, I'm joined by Marge, the operations and content manager at Titan. Marge, how are you? I'm doing well, working remotely from my own home office where the sun is coming in brightly through the window. Sounds lovely. It's amazing. Uh, Marge, for folks who don't know you, uh, can you say a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. So I am a technology person uh, by nature and background. I started out as a graduate from a scientific and technical communications program and started working at IBM, moved into various consultancies and landed at Titan uh, when I had children and needed the flexibility of not having to drive to an office every day. Um, And so I've been a fully remote employee for the past about five years. And I can't imagine going back to an actual office where people interrupt you all the time. Um, <laughs> my my own primary work and career path has been in writing and communications around technology and how people use it and what they need to do with it. And so my role at Titan is sort of that um, and sort of not that. Uh, it's internal communication like within our team, how to do the things you need to do to be successful at your work and your role. And then communication to our clients in terms of, hey, here's your invoice. Maybe you want to pay that. Um, (laughs) Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Like I strongly, strongly suggest it. Our clients are actually largely very, very good at paying. They're they're fantastic. Like when I have to send a reminder, I'm like, oh, well, that's weird. And they're like, oh, sorry, I just missed mail. So, I mean, it's it's not terrible at all. but I like it because my role is I get to help people be good at their jobs. Like that's what it boils down to. I get to help my team be effective because they're not having to worry about, hey, where do I put in my time? How do I request time off? Where do I make changes for my address? It's like, okay, you let me know what you need or I'll ping you and say, hey, here's something um, that we need. And then I also navigate a lot of the like weird mail that we get from you know when you're fully remote and you're working in, I think we're in 15 states. There's so many nuances of communication that go on every single day, and it becomes more critical in a remote company to have effective channels to share what needs to be shared um, and to to be able to do your work effectively. And then also having examples of good communication across those channels. Like we have the option of video calls. We have the option of asynchronous project work in Trello or Basecamp or Slab. We have our day-to-day communication in Slack. We have email as an option. We have texting as an option. Like there's so many choices that we can make. And I think Titan does a very good job of being intentional about which mediums we use and how we use them. So that if you have something you need to communicate, you have an idea based on modeling. Oh, this is a Slack thing because it's, I need a quick, timely answer, or this is a note for a future project, I'm going to stick it in the Trello board. Um, We've done a good job at modeling how to communicate what needs to be shared. So the big thing that I think I want to talk to you today about is what is it like to create a welcoming culture for employees at a completely remote company? But I want to roll that back a little bit because there's a lot 
in that statement, actually. So I want to start with maybe the most fundamental question, which is how do you define culture and why is it important? So my own definition of culture is sort of the general guidelines and rules that any particular group comes up with um, to work together as a community. Culture is sort of that uh, ephemeral, here's how we do these things. And it covers rituals of communication. It covers how do you or how are you socially expected to interact and engage with another person in this particular context? And it's sort of the expressions of emotion and how is that managed? So culture is kind of that gestalt of a whole bunch of people have come together and they bring what they value forward. And then through time and engagement with each other, it gets pared down into sort of shortcuts. That means, hey, we're happy you're here, or this is how we deal with a hard thing, or this is how we communicate important news. Um, so culture is sort of that ephemeral expression of value that each individual brings to the group. Who defines culture in an organization? Is it the bosses? Is it from the bottom up? Is it a mix, a mixture of the two? Does it depend? I think it depends. In my opinion, the best cultures are a mix so that every participant has a voice in that culture. I think in a remote company in particular, culture is informed by the leadership, by the people who have the largest say in how it's structured. And obviously people who pay your check are going to have some influence on how you respond to different situations. But I also believe that the best cultures, the healthiest cultures, leave space for every voice to be recognized and every voice to have some influence in that overall culture. I'm a, I'm a little bit more, I don't know if pessimistic is not the right word, not the right word I want to use. Um, I kind of think that, um, and this is not necessarily based on working at Titan, this is based on working maybe at other places. I think that culture can be maybe what you let people get away with in a sense, right? Like it can sometimes be defined by our own, not even get away with, like sometimes it can end up being like, to me, culture is what you allow in essence, right? It's like, what what are the things that we say, yes, you can do and no, you can't do, even though sometimes they're completely unspoken. I I tend to agree with that. There is some influence from, I want to say maybe a larger world of pick your battles. Like, is this something we're just going to let slide because it's not worth making that fight or taking the stand? Or is this something that's so critical that we absolutely have to stop it right now? And so, yeah, there are, there are groups and there are cultures that kind of devolve to lowest common denominator because no one wants to step up and say, I don't like that. But again, I think that is the representation of voices. Like, do you have enough power to step forward and say, I don't like that and actually trust that you'll be heard? And so I think good cultures have elements of trust, mutual respect, and a willingness to step up and speak up where there are times when some things, like as you pointed out, we just let it go right? Um, or it's not challenged. And so it kind of devolves to what can we get away with? Um, and I think in particular in Titan's culture, we don't really do that. We know that there's a high level of trust so that if we speak up because something makes us uncomfortable or something isn't quite right, um, the voices that we have within our own company are such that we know we can bring that up either as ourselves or to leadership to say, hey, this thing happened and it made me kind of uncomfortable. 
and we'll address it in a way that feels safe and lets everyone be heard. Yeah, I um, it, culture can be kind of hmm, what was I gonna yeah, say there? it's the uh, culture sometimes influence. can be like the stories that you tell about like your company as well, right? It's like it's the story that you tell about yourself. Like it's sort of like the internal idea of like, oh, this is what Titan is. It becomes like the shorthand, you know? Yes, yes, that's exactly it. It's this quick little here's who we are and this is why. Um, and it's a little story that culture is absolutely. Uh, defined by stories for a company that's always remote like titan and many others uh do you think that create that sort of trying to be purposeful about creating culture does that take on any additional importance it definitely does um if you are not purposeful or intentional about the culture you want um it makes it harder to say yes or no in those more challenging moments like if you start with an intention or a vision of I want a remote company. So you make that value statement. I want a remote company that values trust, mutual respect, and acknowledgement of um, diverse viewpoints. If you start from that intention, it's very different than I want a company that values output, high performance, and I don't even know, because these are all things that seem so (laughs) anathema to our own culture. Um, But obviously, if you start with an intention of I value this, and then you pursue those values, it makes it very easy to say no to the things that don't support those values and those intentional choices that you've made from the beginning. So now that we've we've talked a bit about what culture actually is, Marge, when when you think about creating a welcoming culture, a welcoming environment for new employees at a remote company like Titan, where do you start? What steps do you even take? So where I start is um, I work with our partners crafting the offer letter. So we've got a crafting the offer letter, crafting the offer letter. Interesting. So there's there's a template that we use um, in our HR software that is the offer letter that we send out uh, to potential hires. And the language there is one of welcome. We're excited that you're considering this opportunity. Here's what we can offer you. We invite you to ask questions. We hope you accept. We would love to have you on our team. And so the language choices involved in writing that letter, that's the first step in helping someone feel welcome and helping them to feel excited about joining us. So that's actually where I started was the offer letter, making sure the language there uh, reflected that sense of welcome and excitement that our partners have every time we have the opportunity to bring someone new on board, uh, which was really fun. And then the second piece of that is after the offer is accepted, I get to send a welcome letter, which is actually a welcome email. And it's the, hey, you accepted and we're thrilled you're going to be starting. Here's the date that you told us. And here's some things that we are going to ask you about to help us make sure your onboarding experience goes smoothly. And it's things like, what's your address? Um, Do you have co-working space? Do you need equipment? So that they have the awareness and the knowledge that we're excited. We're looking forward to having you. Let's make sure you've got what you need so you can be successful as soon as you start. And it takes away a lot of that uncertainty. I know anytime you start a new job, there's like, oh my gosh, what's the office going to be like? Is there going to be someone I can have lunch with? Like we don't have that in a remote culture. We don't have like a, here's the lunchroom. Here's where you get your coffee. This place has great sandwiches. What we have to do intentionally is say, Here's some things that we're going to share with you about how we work, 
And then that welcome letter also gives us a chance to make sure they have what they need. Like is, do they have a good office chair? Does their monitor suck? Do they need a new mouse? Um, how about a standing desk? Like we are very intentional about making sure that our employees feel welcome from the beginning and have the support of Titan to work comfortably. So, and that starts with the welcome letter. So you start with a welcome letter and then someone shows up, you know, it's their first day. They've, they've, maybe they've gotten some equipment from, from you in the mail. Um, They've, you know, they've been invited to Slack, Um, you know, but there's this, you know, so they've gotten all this great info, but you know, you're still, especially if it's somebody who's never been remote before, right? But you show up and you're like, what do I, what, what am I even expecting? Help. Yeah. A very common question. That's a good question too. Um, usually what we do is encourage folks like a week before their start date, even they have access to our Slack so they can get into some of our general channels, pop in, like basically poke your head over the window or in peek in the door. Like if you were like a pre-orientation, here's where the building is. Okay. Here's how I get to my job. Right. Um, as soon as someone logs into our Slack for the first time, it's been so much fun to witness this. Um, the team as a whole is like, oh, hi, you're here. It's so great to see you because there's like all this pent up yeah. excitement about the new human who's joining us, um, which is the thing that I adore. And it's super interesting to me because Titan is a mix of introverts and extroverts. And it's not just the extroverts who are so excited to welcome someone new. So it's it's a team effort, really, of being welcoming. And it's really just excitement because we know the people we work with are good people and we're excited to meet this other good person who's going to be one of our colleagues. Um, and so on that, but on that first day, I'll usually get an email in advance to say, Hey, what can I expect? And I'm like, all right, well, here's generally what happens. You're going to pop in. You're going to be overwhelmed by welcome messages. Uh, there will be multiple emoji responses to your in message. Um, you know, here's your status indicator of you're available or you're not available. And I'll generally walk them through, here's some of like the high level, here's how we use Slack, um, just in terms of I'm available, I'm not, here's some messages, uh, I'll give them a heads up on here's the channels that you'll want to pay attention to first, so kind of an orientation, um, similar to if it was their first day in an office, like here's the rooms that are going to be important to you on a first day. I'll do the same thing for a new hire, but I'll say, here's the channels you'll want to highlight. Here's the ones you're going to want to star in Slack because this is where, you know, important company stuff happens. And then as you go through over time, you'll find others that interest you. And then when you meet with Matt or Dave or Keith, uh, you know, some of our other leadership, they'll point out some other channels that will help you to be effective in your job. So that first day is really just kind of a getting your feet wet and understanding here's the tools we use and how we use them. Um, and it's the same kind of orientation you'd have in a building because we're still going through the standard HR. Here's what I need for your I-9 and here's how we do our work day and here's where you report time and here's how you'll get your paycheck. Um, it's just done over a Zoom call and screen sharing. So instead of walking through a physical building, it's really just navigating a series of tools in a way that allows them to ask questions, know where to go if they can't find answers, um, and sort of lets them gently acclimate to something that might be completely new. Yeah, the the tour of Slack channels is is a really um it's like it really is. It's like the new building tour, you know? Um and so you 
obviously are in a very official capacity where you're like, here's our general channel. Here's our important channel. Here's, you know, where this happens and that happens. But then, you know, there are other sorts of channels, right? And so do you, do you try to, how do you strike that balance of, um, I want to give you like a, a glimpse at some fun stuff while also not having it be like, and here's our company sanctioned fun channel. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's, that's one of the things that's so interesting too, because building a culture and getting to know your team, I've often told people my role at Titan is really strange because I get to know everyone I work with as people before I know anything really that they're capable of doing in terms of technology. Mm. I know they are all smart. I know they all program wonderfully and they're so good and skilled at what they do. Um, but I don't do that. I do the people side of that. And so I'm like, hey, here's what you're interested in. This is something you're really good at. I've learned so many interesting things about them as humans. And so when we're onboarding someone, that's often part of the conversation. I'm like, I'll point out, here's some channels I love, and they're not at all related to technology. So I'll just share a little bit about who I am as a person, because that lets them know they have permission to also be interested in things that are not just technology. And like, and by the way, there's like 70 bazillion channels. That's a overestimate. I haven't actually counted. It's probably more like 400 and some um, about different discussions and different topics of interest. And someday when you're like twiddling your thumbs, waiting for something to build, take a peek, like do a quick search. If you like books, if you like cooking, if you like eating, if you like music, we all like those things too. So. If you have unpopular opinions. That's right. Oh my gosh. Unpopular opinions is like so good and terrible simultaneously. I try to not go to that one first because I'm like, <laughs> no, they don't need to know that we're all this um, opinionated, perhaps. Oh. <laughs> that's where you really learn about somebody at your company is when you find out what is, when, is when they feel comfortable enough to really fire off that first hot take. Yeah. And that's one of the things like, all right, they've got this. Yeah. They know it's safe. They trust us. We're good. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So Margie, when you, uh, you know, when you told us a little bit about yourself at the beginning of the episode, you talked a bit about how you've obviously you have experience remote companies, non remote companies. How do you, so is there something specific about like the intent, like how we go about creating culture aside from the, obviously the nuts and bolts are different, but is there anything sort of uh, at a at a at a higher level, anything really different about creating it for a company that's co-located? Are there things? Uh, I'm sorry, I'm not saying this right. Are there things that are specific challenges when you're trying to create uh, help create culture remotely versus uh, something that's co-located, or is it really just same principles? You just have to adapt the techniques. I think it is very different in a remote company versus a co-located company because in a co-located environment you have the assumption with, you know, valid backup that you will be able to get together and do the thing that you have planned to do because you're all there. Um, specifically, one of my past um, companies, we would have a Christmas party and various folks throughout the organization would volunteer to be in part of the choir. We'd rewrite Christmas lyrics to apply to software development and you would have planning meetings around this. It's just like half an hour every other week or like from beginning of October until the Christmas party would happen. And that's not something you could easily do in a remote company because obviously trying to get people together and write Christmas lyrics and then have a Christmas party where you're all in the same room just doesn't really happen. And so there are some things that are just sort of baked into co-located work culture, i.e. Christmas parties 
or having a standard meeting for fun things um, that you have to be very intentional about creating in a remote company and allowing space for that to happen because humans are social creatures and we need those social outlets as much as we need to be productive around work. It's much easier to work with people who you also have fun with. Like that's just standard. But in a remote company, you have to be very intentional, very intentional about creating space for that to happen and not be afraid of seeing people having fun. Um, I won't name names. I'll just say other slack. Uh, I've seen and read multiple examples of it's essentially fun police and it makes it feel like a very uh, gray and gloomy workspace. When I read those stories, I'm like, oh, oh, that doesn't sound like a good place to work because there's fun police, uh, which I will say you have to find a balance of that in a remote company as well, because obviously you're employed. So it's not going to be all fun all the time. Sometimes there will be tough slogs to get through and there will be projects that like make you want to pull your hair out because it's a technical challenge that you don't have an easy answer to solve. So it just takes a lot of hard work to get there. And if you're spending all of your time having fun, the work isn't getting done. And so it's, it's also being deliberate about the people you bring on board. Um, are they responsible and self-driven? Are they capable of structuring their time independently and responsibly to meet the needs of the work in front of them. Um, and so I think it becomes much more important to also hire intentionally for that skill. And you might be able to not do that as much in a co-located company because there's so many like physical checks. Like, oh, if it's open office, someone's going to look over my shoulder. So if I'm goofing off all day, I'll get fired. You don't have that same pressure in a remote environment. And I know a lot of, that's a lot of the reasons many companies have been afraid of going fully remote. Like how will we know they're doing their work? Well, you'll know they're doing their work because their work gets done. (laughs) Yeah. So we talked earlier about what it's like to create a welcoming culture for new employees, but what about for existing employees? So let's say, and this is hypothetical, let's say, because it really actually really is. I think I, I mean, I'm obviously it's a Titan podcast, but so you all might not believe that I'm being honest here, but I think we have a we have a pretty good culture. But let's say maybe you're listening to this, and maybe you haven't always been so purposeful about trying to create a welcoming culture. Is it is it possible to reboot your culture at a company? I think it is possible to reboot your culture at a company, but it requires a good amount of introspection about what do you value first. So if you have a culture that makes you less than pleased with your current environment take some time to reflect on why that is. What are the values that feel like they're missing um, or need a little bolstering? Because if you don't have that, it's really hard to know what changes to make. And so, and when I say values, I'm talking about things like trust, transparency, integrity, honesty. Like what are the things that you feel you need more of to have a culture that feels better for you and your team as a whole? And I, I say that both as someone in a position of leadership within Titan, but also as an employee of Titan. Like I, I have a very strong sense of, I want these kinds of things for myself and my work environment. And that's exactly like trust, integrity, honesty, accountability. Yeah. Um, those are things that matter to me deeply. And so, and I see that on a regular basis in Titan, uh, in Slack and in my interactions with my team. If those things were missing, my first step would be to say, what is the thing that's missing? And my second step would be to take that forward 
to Dan and Matt to say, here's some things I'm noticing and they're making me feel not great about what I'm seeing. I haven't had to do that. Um, and that in part is because we have a very strong culture that has those elements present. But I know if there was something that I wasn't comfortable with, I could bring that up to the partners and say, here's something I'm noticing and it's making me feel not good. And their reaction would not be, oh, you're wrong. Their reaction would be, tell me more. Mm. Let's talk about that. And so that's the second piece. If you are someone who's an employee and you're seeing things that aren't great and they make you feel kind of icky about your team culture, if you take that to leadership and their reaction is, oh, I don't believe you versus tell me more, that's that's a cultural issue as well. Leadership needs to be willing to listen to their employees, to their workforce to say, oh, okay, here's something we weren't aware of and acknowledge that maybe stuff needs to change. And that can be a very difficult thing to do. Um, it is not easy to shift culture in a large, or I should say larger workforce. It's possible, but it requires leadership's willingness to start steering the ship in that direction. Yeah. Uh, one of my overused phrases all the time is that um, think some things are, are a program, not a project, right? And, and culture is not a one time. It's not like you say, well, we're going to reboot our culture today and we're going to, today's culture day, or this is. Right. So reinstalling our culture. Right. It, <laughs> Please wait for 20 minutes while we reboot. It's a practice. Yes. Yes. It's ongoing and it's every day. So it means taking time at regular intervals to reflect. Are we who we want to be? Does our culture reflect that? And does our culture reflect the values, our stated values as humans? as employees, as leaders, as partners, as bosses, like do, are we doing what we believe in? So you talked about if, uh, you know, what would happen if somebody kind of came back, if you sort of observed that something was off, what role in general does feedback, whether it's uh, to you or to uh, our partners, Matt and Dan, is there, uh, what role does that play in your eyes in creating and sustaining culture? Do, are there for, aside from when you're observing stuff, are, do you think that people need formal like feedback mechanisms for that or, or how does that work? Um, I would say we don't have truly strictly formal procedures for that. Generally speaking, when we have questions that come up, um, we actually created a discuss benefits channel because we were looking at different medical plans and it was going to have a significant impact on our team. And so at that point, we're like, we're going to just make this channel because we want your input. And so it was a very deliberate action of, we have this channel. If you have questions, input, comments, concerns, use them here. If you're not comfortable posting them in a channel, bring it up to Marge, to Dan, to Matt, right. talk about it. And so when we know there's going to be something that there will be questions on, we are very intentional about creating space to ask those questions um, or invite people to come and share their thoughts or their worries. And so the interesting feedback from that is, the channel gets used sometimes, but most often it's an indirect question, either in a one-on-one -on -one, or it's a quick ping. Hey, I have this question about this particular benefit. And so because we have a channel for it, people know that it's okay to talk about, even if they don't want to talk about it publicly, it makes it easier and they feel more free to just ask the questions they have questions about. And generally speaking, it's not just one person who's wondered, it's two or three, and it just happens to be one person who surfaces it first. Right. So yeah, not a lot of formal, I would say not a lot of formal feedback regarding culture, but 
But because we have a very open and transparent culture, most people know it is safe to ask questions. So if you're uh, at a company that's making the transition to remote, or maybe you're allowing some people to work remotely while others stay on site, what are things that you think people should be watching out for in terms of the impact it might have on their existing culture? So the interesting one there, like the hardest situations that I've seen are when you have a team that is partially co-located and partially remote. So a prior job that I held, we had about six members of the team who were co-located and there were eight of us who were remote. And the folks who were co-located got information sooner and quicker and management with them just made the assumption that those employees would share it with the remote employees. And so I think you have to be very careful to make sure that co-located employees don't get preference Mm. when the work is all the same work um, and that you have completely communicated things to the entire team. Uh, It can be very easy to um, not acknowledge the work of people who you don't see because we see what's in front of us. And so if you're co-located with your team, it can be easy to think your team is six people instead of my team is 14 people. And so having ways where the co-located people and the remote folks all still come together on a sort of regular basis so that you're seeing everyone in a similar way, like a Zoom meeting or a WebEx conference, and you have the expectation set of everyone's going to join on video, that normalizes it a little bit more and takes away some of that uh, preference for people who are next to me versus people I don't see regularly. Okay. Marge, those are all the questions that I have for you today. Um, but I've w- actually, I take that back. I have one last question, which is, uh, this is something I, um, I shamelessly uh, borrow from another podcast that I like, which is, um, Marge, what's one question that I should have asked you today that I didn't? Oh, wow. This is a good question too, because I don't know if I have an answer. Is there anything that we missed or any, you know, when, when, when you talk, because I knew you love, I know you really enjoy talking about what it's like to be purposeful about creating culture. Is there something, some aspect of that that we haven't touched on today? Oh, yes, a little bit. Um, Titan's expectation about meetings. Mm. Like we try to not have meetings as much as possible. So that I think is one of the biggest shifts from co-located work to remote work. Um, You have a lot of meetings that you're like, oh, this could have been an email or this could have been a Slack conversation. And so that's a really big change to get used to for a lot of folks because they're used to filling up their days with meetings. And once they have fewer meetings or meetings that are done in 20 minutes, what did they do with their time? So that's one piece of it. And the second piece of it is just getting comfortable with seeing yourself on video. Um, Mm. You have so much nuance in facial expression, in voice, in hand gestures, um, that if you're only on calls with no video, you lose a lot of that context and it can be very easy to be misunderstood. So use video. And then the third one is, and this ties into a little bit of fun, like intentional fun, intentional communication. Uh, One of the things that I love about Titan is Cat Meetup and Beer Cat, which names that make no sense but are wonderful because it's a half hour standup on Monday that allows our team to kind of regroup at the beginning of the week to say, here is my weekend. It's sort of that water cooler catch up and then say, here's what I'm working on this upcoming week. So it kind of gives us all a chance to check in with each other, acknowledge that we have lives away from work and then get started on our day. So that's sort of a ritual of reconnecting and resetting and acknowledging each other um, as humans. 
And then Beer Cat is sort of the social hour, sort of that, hey, whoever's available right now, let's go grab a beer. Let's have a cup of tea. Let's just talk about whatever. And we've had so many good conversations and weird conversations and interesting brain, mind blowing, like what? I had no idea. Like, it's great. Um, And then that also hints at our culture, like, what the heck is cat meetup? Well, it's we had a weekly stand up and cats kept appearing and we just decided it should be cat meetup because the cats would all come hang out with us. Um, And that just stayed. So now we have cats, we have dogs, we have children who wander through. Um, and it's just an expected and acknowledged part of life in a remote culture. So stand-ups, lots of people have stand-ups, but not a lot of people have cat meetup. And that is very much like emblematic of Titan and culture. It's just sort of developed over time and is a shorthand for here's how we do a thing. And I love that. So yeah, as as people are moving from a co-located situation to a remote situation, look for those sort of organic opportunities that let you sort of make a new shorthand for who you are as a team. Um, because that's, that's important too. Like having that sense of teamwork and overall corporate culture comes because you know each other. You know how to have fun, you know how to trust, and you know how to work well. Marge, I think that's a fantastic place to, to, to end this conversation today. If people want to follow you online, do you have a preferred place to do that? or? Yeah, um, you can find me on Twitter at MinFin. Uh, I've also got a LinkedIn profile somewhere. Those are probably the two two preferred options. Excellent. Well, thank you, Marge, for your time. This has been fantastic. I really appreciate it. And yeah, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thanks for having me, Dave. Bye, y'all.